This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Hello, hello, hello. What's up, friends? It's Mr. Adam X, your host of the Pursuit Podcast on the Out of Collective. I'm going to try to keep my intros real short this week. Uh, you know how that that always goes. It's August, first week of August. I hope everyone's getting after it. I know it's hot. Let's not complain about the heat. Let's not wish away summer. Let's enjoy it. Keep getting outside. Go swimming, because in a couple months, you're not going to be able to. So jump in the water. Go wakeboarding. Go paddleboarding. Go whitewater rafting. Get after it. Call your friends. It's summer. Enjoy it. Uh... I want to get right into my sponsors this week. I've got three amazing sponsors for this show this week. And my first sponsor is Woodchuck, Woodchuck Cider. You guys know it because it's the official cider of the Out of Collective. They do so much. They have so many products. There's so many flavors and they're all delicious. So check out Woodchuck Cider. And specifically, if you're in the Northeast, you got to check out Cider Stock. It's presented by Woodchuck Hard Cider. It's August 20th, 2022. One of my favorite bands is playing, The Bleachers. I don't usually say that publicly that I love The Bleachers, but I really do. It's the guitarist from Fun. They sing that song, I want to get better. All right, that's my that's my singing career at its best. Uh, check it out. It's August 20th. Tickets are still on sale. They've got food and drink. And, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an absolute party. Again, Cider Stock. August 20th, Bleachers of the Headliners, check them out. Let's talk about my second sponsor this week. New sponsor, super pumped, and I've been using their products for so long. Uh, I am the type of quote-unquote athlete that when I'm training, I need to eat, and I want things to taste well, and I want them to be convenient. So our friends over at Goo Energy, they provide, they provide effective, convenient energy on the go. Tasty flavors meant to motivate and inspire. I don't know if you've had their Stroop waffles, but it's like possibly my favorite pre-activity snack. I guess it's a, we'll call it a snack. Uh, their hydration tablets live in my water bottles. It's science-backed and athlete-proven. They've been around for over 30 years. And they created the first energy gel. And actually, my guest next week, we deep dive into the whole story of Goo. But they're family-owned. Their office is in Berkeley, California. And they've got a ton of flavors, literally for everybody. And oh, it's just so good. I can't, I can't get over nutrition that tastes good. And at, at Goo... And in association with us, I don't know why I said that so weird, at Goo, um, but it's available everywhere. It's at REI, it's at Dick's, you can find it at CVS, Walmart, Target, and us who over here at Out of Bounds, we are going to give you 20% off at GooEnergy.com if you use code Out of Bounds. Again, GooEnergy.com, use code Out of Bounds, get yourself 20% off. All of this stuff is fantastic, and it... It works, and you can ask me, the non-athlete, you can ask the scientists in the lab over at Goo, or you can ask the athletes who are sponsored by Goo. Uh, they're a bunch of nerds who are athletes who made killer product. So again, gooenergy.com, use code out of bounds. 
And now for my final sponsor, and again, another new sponsor. I'm so amped on this sponsor uh, because many of you guys know I'm in the van. I'm in the van full time. It's summer and I reek. Let's be honest. I do not smell good all the time. So my new sponsor solves that problem. Geyser Systems, geysersystems.com. What it is, it's a fast, compact, off-the-grid, hot shower. Uh, you can clean your gear, you can do your dishes, and it uses less than a gallon of water. And I don't know how many of you guys have car camped or done the whole thing. It's a lot. Bringing the bag shower, like how do you walk around with a five-gallon plastic bag of water? I don't transport that in my van. It's not cool. The geyser system is compact made super durable i've had it for about a week and a half and i've already like dropped it smat like it's a mess but my favorite thing is i can put water in it i can seal it and it's good to go it can sit in the corner i don't have to worry about it spilling or leaking all over the place uh it's got a really neat system as far as it's like a it's like a wet sponge and you can take a shower it's got a built-in heater if you don't want to use the built-in heater because power is an issue uh just boil some water in your jet boil, dump it in, holds up to three liters of water. And I'm telling you, you get a seven to 10 minute shower comfortably with less than a gallon of water. Uh, they've got over 320 reviews on REI. So if you don't believe me, check out REI and just go to geysersystems.com. Check out their story. I'm telling you, if you live in a van or you hang out in a van or you car camp or you don't like smelling, Geyser Systems is the solution that I've been looking for. Uh, it's literally hot, clean, off the grid water. So uh, shower, I guess it's water because that's what we're using, but it's a shower. It works so well. Again, geysersystems.com. Check it out. Let me know what you think. I My DMs are open at Mr. Adamax. I will answer every question I can. I have a full review coming out to deep dive even more into this product, but I literally can't geek out enough about this because I've been searching for a solution for so long. Okay, a lot of ads. We love our sponsors. They're so good. And my favorite thing about all of our sponsors is that we use the products that we sell. So you can trust me. And if you don't trust me, you can call me out. You can DM me. I'll tell you everything about these products. The good, the bad, the ugly, the great, the fantastic. Uh, we've got nothing to hide here at The Collective. So now we'll get into my guest, Andrew Alexander King, an African-American explorer, a surfer, a mountaineer, a diver, born and raised in Detroit, living life in LA now, uh, and currently in Chamonix training. He doesn't call himself an alpinist, but I will. This conversation is conversations that I hope to have on this, on this podcast when I started this podcast. The point of the pursuit and what it is, it's what's your pursuit? What is your journey? What is your you know, what's your pursuit? And Andrew Alexander King, his his pursuit, his concept, his outlook on life is so beautiful, so heartwarming. Um, and really, and maybe I'm paraphrasing here, but he's just trying to bring diversity to the outdoors. Uh, he found peace in nature and he's on a mission to climb the seven highest summits and seven tallest volcanoes on every continent. And he will be the first African-American explorer to ever do that. So we talk about his project, the Between World Project. We talk about his training. He's one of the 20 most influential people in the outdoor industry. This is a not, um, an episode you cannot miss. 
So I know that was a long intro, almost eight minutes, and we're almost there. I got to give a shout out to my friends at Soul Focus, who bridged the gap between myself and Andrew. Uh, so JT and Jameson over at Soul Focus, thank you. Uh, thank you for the, the quick CC email. And Andrew Alexander King, thanks for hopping on at short notice, and thanks for having the conversation. And here it is will actually entrap you in anything because i let you explain who you are <laughs> clearly i've done a bunch of research on you and i have an idea of who you are but and do you go by just andrew do you go by andrew alexander do you go by what do you i, I say andrew alexander king because um it's definitely it's homage and respect to my late great grandmother you know like for a long time, I thought that name was too powerful. As a five foot four guy here, I didn't have a lot of confidence in the world. <laughs> and so um, when she transitioned on out of this life, I really was like, this is a name that I need to be proud of. And so that's why I say my full name. And But, you know, some, you know, if you call me Andrew, some people call me Alexander when they see me in the airport. <laughs> and I'm just like, hi. What do your <laughs> or, friends like, call that you? Guy that's like, yeah, what's up? What do your friends call you? Oh, they call me Andrew. Okay. Yeah, my friends call me Andrew. It's, you know, and like, you call me Andrew and like, hey, as long as you're calling me something nice and we have a discussion, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, you know? All right. When you are ready, you can just kind of tell everyone who you are and what you do and we'll just roll right from there. Um, yeah, my name is Andrew Alexander King. I'm an African-American explorer from Detroit, Michigan, and I'm on a journey to climb the highest mountain in volcanoes around the world to learn from other communities about um, speaking up and understanding how to stop or prevent sexism, racism, inequality, and climate change and social economic impacts to our communities and ourselves as, as we live here today on this world. And so, yeah, I started in Detroit uh, no one in my family's ever climbed or surf. And so to me, that's where I started my journey. Uh, thanks enough, my grandparents uh, adopted me because no one in my family ever went to college. And so my family, thanks to my, my single mom, single parent of four, my brother, my uncle, my grandparents, my great late great grandmother, uh, they really wanted someone to go to college and they worked really hard. And so my grandparents adopted me and we made that happen. And so from going to be the first person in my family to ever go to college, take it a step further and taught myself how to surf and climb and hike around the world. And I decided at some point this lottery ticket of life is only a value if I give back to others. And so over the time of climbing um, high altitude and learning how to trek and climb volcanoes around the world where I can go to the top and meditate and then come down and surf, I that I want to do more for others and give back so other people have more value and are seen as human beings and not just as objects. And their lottery ticket has value and a place to speak on their truth. And so this is my journey. It's called the Between Worlds Project, always learning how to navigate between what society says you should be and what you see yourself as um, and breaking through that glass ceiling. So I'm on that journey now. It's the seven volcanoes, highest volcanoes and the seven summits and 60 other mountains around the world and big waves and communities along that journey. So it's going to take anywhere from, I thought it would be 10 years. I've been doing it for eight already. Um, but since I started the last two years, people known about it. It's now starting the 10 years and it's probably going to take 12. So I'll probably be doing this for like 20 years. Um, but my goal is when I'm done with the last mountain, 
And the last wave is to hand it over to someone else where they can share their story and their journey between those worlds. And so um, I have an end date. I think it's always something good to have is where you can, you know, take the reins or the map, get out of the car and give someone the map and the keys and say, go drive to where you need to drive to and just sit and meditate and reflect. So that, that's me in a nutshell. That was my elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, okay, we're uh, thanks for being on the show. We're out of here. That's it. Bye. That's the shortest episode we've ever had at three and a half minutes. Um, we're going to jump a bit, but how does Andrew Alexander King from Detroit become Andrew Alexander King, world-renowned, we won't say alpinist because you don't say alpinist, and we'll talk about that I as don't. well, but <laughs> world-renowned explorer. Like, how does that happen because i grew up in buffalo new york which like we could say is very similar to detroit and i am not mm -hmm. climbing mountains oh that is that's so cool my grandfather is from buffalo that's, so that's amazing. cool I'm so, that's so cool he's him and his family yeah he tells me a lot of great stories about buffalo i've been there a few times um go sabers yeah but uh you know, hope you go bills, go bills. <laughs> but um yeah so the question is, to answer it in a, in a nutshell, um, it's just drive, you know, I think coming out and I appreciate you being vulnerable and like, you know, given that segue into like how one grows is that, um, you know, just someone that grew up, you know, went to school in the projects area, grew up down the street from pretty turbulent area. It's just, I already was climbing mountains before I knew I was climbing mountains. Let's just put it that way. Mentally, as a young very young adolescent going to school every day you're basically either diving drive-by shootings that happen two or three blocks away uh there's paraphernalia um and there's a very big gap between you know segregation that you can see from kids that go to a private school right across the street from your school that's in a project and so i was already climbing that mountain the moment that my lottery ticket of life i call it already punched me out to this world and so every day I walked up and down that street or on that block or went to my grandmother's place like you already was climbing this mental mountain to be something more to yourself than what society saw you as and as a kid in that situation that is you know watching my mom work three jobs where we could have Christmases food and just have warmth and my, our family coming together to make sure that we had things that to me were very you know cool, amazing things, but to other people, they're just basic essentials. Um, and I talk about more of that, that later, but that drive is basically what kept sticking me forward to go. Um, and so over time, it's just the heartbeat of that drive just kept pushing me forward. I remember just sitting out on my, my little stoop in our, in our neighborhood, and I just look out at the sunrise, and I just always wonder what was out there. Um, and I just always thought what would take me there. And so school was the first place being someone that really liked to learn um and really just dived into that and then second was just being someone that just ran I, I ran track for 13 years of my life from being eight years old till I was 21 um, and I knew school and wanted to be a d1 athlete was something that was going to get my family the ability to have the opportunity that socially and economically that they deserved but have had to sacrifice for for their lives so that was it and then what, like, okay, that makes some sense. Like you, you were born into it. You were climbing these mountains, but like to physically, like, what was it about 
mountain climbing or the outdoors or I don't I don't I don't know how to ask this question properly but like it could have been yeah. skateboarding it could have been basketball it could have been like what was the draw of of mountain climbing or did you did that just evolve like that's just what it ended it evolved up being. my friend it just has evolved and I think you're asking a great question it's like I didn't even know mountain climbing was a thing if you showed me a rock and told me to climb it as a child I would be like what what are you talking about okay what do you want to mean I didn't even know where Hawaii was as a kid. I just knew that it was part of the United States way out in the middle of nowhere. It made no sense because everything else was connected <laughs> in the United States, let alone could barely spell the thing. Um, and so it wasn't something that I thought was attainable. It really didn't come attainable until, you know, later on when my grandparents that are in the middle or in the military at the time, we moved around and I became a global citizen and we got, you know, they'll live there. And this is where I got to find a place that was just healing, like the traumatic experiences that I didn't really on the inside that I didn't really have a place on the outside to sit and not hear so much noise. And I fell in love with, you know, with climbing because I can get to the top of a mountain and just sit there and meditate. And I would just hear nothing besides what was naturally given to me. There was no artificial sound besides what nature was giving me. And I thought it to be the most beautiful thing in my heart to hear that. And then surfing, you know, being just, you know, this teenage kid that knew no better. I didn't know anything about the sport. I let alone, I had to teach myself how to swim. I, I think that was, you know, no one in my family swam or surfed or climbed or did any of those things. Um, the, the first time, and I'll just say this, the first time I ever touched or roped into something was like Mall of America at Camp Snoopy. If anyone knows, listening knows what that is. <laughs> I remember climbing that wall and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, I just want to get to the top. And let's fast forward, you know, about what, 10 years later, you're, you're, you're in Hawaii now. And I just want to climb up through this brush and just see a beautiful sunset and sit and just be with my thoughts that not in a society that says, hey, you're black and you have to be this, or here's a derogatory statement. I just got to sit there and, and it, it slowly to your point, it evolved to a point where it just was my therapy. That was so good for me to sit there. And then the surfing was, if I had time, I'll just run down to the beach and catch a wave and mother nature would just give me a gift and say, go do it. And so it wasn't like I was seeking it out. I think in the sense of life, it was pushing me towards it. Um, that sounds very philosophical, but that's the way it, it evolved. And over time, it, it, it started to just have habitually happen. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds, and not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like it was almost, it started as an escape. Whether you knew it or not, it was yeah. that moment that you could just, like, step away from, like, yeah. life's yeah. BS, really, and just, like, yeah. be there, yeah. exist. I, I agree. Agree. I agree. That's, I would say that's an accurate statement. No words put in there. I think that's a very hard way to, you know, digest and articulate it because um, it was an escape to, you know, growing up and being, I would say people were like, Hey, you're not white or black. And this is where my between worlds project started because I feel like I was always between these worlds. I'm like, I just like to listen to good music, classical music or like jazz music, you know, and like, that's what our family and people be like, well, you're not listening to like the new Biggie Smalls. And I was like, I just can't get behind it right now. Like, I'm just like, I like, I want to listen to some Tupac. It's just very poetic. And people would just be like, I carry myself this way. And I remember being stuck between 
not feeling too black for my own community or just too black for even the, you know, the white community that was in my private school that I went to. And so it was always like, where do I fit in? And to your point, I won't ever forget just sitting there and just meditating. I was like, this is where I fit in. This is where I feel uncomfortable. And it's kind of interesting because now when people see me climb in like Alpine where like in like high altitude or I was just doing a solo run the other day here in France and, and people are just like, what the hell is this guy doing? I was like, but you could see that I feel so comfortable. And in big wave, I just feel comfortable because I know that is where I'm at peace. No matter what happens to me, I will be at peace. And I don't know if that was to your like to your point that escaping into that level of depth of understanding myself and respecting nature is where I kind of like blossom and encapsulate in me to find my confidence that I lacked in that walking between those worlds. Yeah, it's. I mean, I can't. I'm blonde hair blue-eyed white kid from Buffalo. Like I can't pretend to know what it's growing up like that. And even just now, like being an adult growing up African-American, living African-American, like our world's a mess. And I, I'd yeah. like to think that at least in the outdoors, people are starting to understand it, are starting to accept it. And like, why anyone wouldn't is always like, that's a whole nother podcast of, uh, you know, whatever. But like, do you feel comfortable in the outdoor space currently mm. oh, as man, an African-American yes. explorer <laughs> specifically? Like, Adam, with, Adam, with a great question. Um, I think the, as an African-American, as Andrew Alexander King talking in third person, I've learned to accept what I am in any space with my own confidence and my responsibility. As an African-American, there is still ways to go. We have steps to go. And sometimes it goes backwards. And do I feel safe? Not all the time. Um, I think you're seen, but you're also given the skepticism. I've seen it here where I've walked into, I'm, I am not hard to miss in Chamonix, France. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I should laugh at know. that, but it, I'm picturing you. <laughs> you, can, like, you can. I'm laughing at it because when people talk to me about it, like, like, oh, like even the train conductors, the bakers, everyone knows me from like smiling and waving to people. And that's just how I've always been. But I also know when I walk into a hut, I am the one of the few black alpinists that people see. Um, or training alpinists would say, you know, like, and I think that's where it's a very, like I was talking to guides early this season, like, how do you feel? And I was just like, well, you, you kind of feel behind the, the curb a little bit. And so everyone thinks of you may be a little bit, and this could be generalizing, but you're a little bit underdeveloped. Everyone else has been doing this already. It's, it's common. You know, we look, you look around, everyone looks the same. So if something doesn't look like you, it looks foreign and most foreign objects are usually, you know, given some resistance because it is just not something that's commonly, you know, really digested as well. And so when I first started this, I'll just give you some, you know, some context here to where that statement comes from. When I first started these expeditions and going out and like climbing, like around the world, like over 70 different mountains to this date and more, if I count like peaks alone and like track climbs and such, it was very turbulent because people would say microaggressions to me 
on expeditions. And I just had to sit there and take it. And you couldn't do, and I couldn't do anything. I'm for, I'm in a tent with this person for the next two or three weeks, or I'm on an expedition for the next week with this person. And I just have to take it. And, you know, you're, you're, you're don't, you're looked at as um, a liability a little bit because again, it's very foreign. And also it's just, you don't know many pro people. That's just not again representation. If I don't see you doing something again, and I'll just put this in context to make it full circle. If you see a person, a African American, that is six four dribbling a ball, you're probably going to think, yeah, that person has a good, probably really good at basketball. But if you see that same person out carrying an ice axe and like walking in you know, the struggling, like putting on crampons, you're like, what is this person doing here? It's just such a different you know, mindset. And I've had those conversations with people where it's like, in the beginning, wasn't safe. It didn't feel that way. Um, and it used to deter me from really wanting to pursue the sport uh, and its glory and its capacity. But I, at the end of the day, what I learned is that I can't let my insecurities hold me back from having these conversations to not only educate myself on how other people think that way, but also appreciate them for coming and opening up and acknowledging how we can discuss this as humanity. And so I think now it's to your point, it is growing to where people are acknowledging it. And by it, I mean the, that, that there is a lack of representation, which does have a cascading effect to psychologically impact one's confidence or level of wanting to step into a place. But at the same time, I do think there are definitely people that are making the right steps that are from a non-minority community that are saying, hey, you can come with me, you can climb with me, um, that I've seen really evolve and iterate over the years that I'm super proud of. So, How do we, this is such a BS uh, question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How do we make it? better how do we make it easier how do we make the situation more comfortable like and i mean this for everything like i don't even have technically like the social hurdles to, when entering a sport but like it's intimidating to enter a new sport in general and then you bring in like cultural differences and you know you're an african-american training in france like i can't even imagine but like is there something, and maybe the answer is no, that anyone can do when they see someone learning a sport, whether anything that will help the situation? Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. I don't, I think the answer is yes. And I would say that in a great, another great question, I would say, it's just like having conversations like this. Let the person come to you in their truth. And let them have an opinion that is not one that is similar to you, but that one that you both can sit down at the table and grow from and walk away from. Because that is the only way we're going to really solve this problem, uh, either in any sport. Because you see the WNBA, where now the NBA, NBA is, you see the, some of the best NBA stars, like Chris Paul, LeBron James, Brad Bailey showing up to the WNBA games because they know that there is a pretty big gap there of represent like sponsorships, the um, representation of, you know, in media. And that is something that is having 
tremendous effects on their families and their kids that, you know, that are like, Hey, I want to be a basketball player like you, dad, but their daughters could be like saying, Oh, you know, I don't just see, I don't see that as much. And, and so to answer your question, I think it's really, it takes everyone's ability to take a little bit, pour your ego cup out a little bit as much as you can, I would say to correct that and make sure you have enough space for people to come in and be heard and not just like, her to respond, but like her to listen, like here to listen to them of like what they're going through because you can realize something, but it's hard for you to relate. And I think to your point, like, you know, you said already, like, yeah, it's, you, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. Like, yes, I'm an African-American, you're Caucasian from Buffalo. Um, and we have t- our lottery tickets of life are totally different, but we're still human at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And that, that having a conversation about, our upbringings and what got us here to have a discussion together is something that we have by taking time out of our day to really ask these questions like, how did you get here? What was it like for you? And then you're really building that bridge of communication, which then levels into like trust, which then levels into consistency, which levels into a better dialogue and place for people to be seen and heard. And it's not just being like, you're right, you're wrong, you're left, you're right. It's like a place where like, Yes, these opinions are different, but this is what humanity is. We grow upon our differences. That's what makes us beautiful. And so I always say with any partner um, I work with, I don't call them sponsors because we're partners, we're in this, is that the you should have a, a rainbow of individuals that represent you that people can see themselves as, and we will all grow. Because if it's just one color, this is one demographic. And you're not really growing profitably, purposefully within your, what you're trying to do. Um, and it's just going to hurt you in the long run because the world is, you know, so globalized now that you, you if you don't have these conversations, people are going to ask the question, why? Why not? What do you have to lose? And so I, I, I think that's my take on it. Um, and I know that it's for everyone, it's, it's very hard because for someone to sit down and ask you questions and question your reality is not something that is something easy to do. But what I've learned as time goes on, is like, it's the most beautiful thing because when someone feels seen and heard, you open up so many opportunities and door for that person to move forward in their life. So. No, I, I love that answer. And I, this podcast is definitely not about me, but it's, that's the number one thing that doing this podcast has taught me is to obviously the, the goal of the con of the podcast is to have a conversation but it's taught me to to listen a lot more and like maybe i shouldn't say this out loud but i will cuz that's my job as a host is like these are sometimes uncomfortable conversations for me not because not because i care like in every in the nicest kindest way that you are an african american explorer but because mm-hmm. i cannot relate to that and instead mm-hmm. of and instead of me so it's e- very easy for me to like not have those conversations, right? Versus yeah, like, I yeah. it, but I mean this in the in the in the kindest, nicest way. And I asked you when we when before we were recording, is there anything we don't want to talk about? And you gave like a really beautiful answer. And I'm just gonna summarize summarize it. It was basically mm-hmm. like that is the there is nothing that we shouldn't want to talk about because conversations mm-hmm. are what help us grow and help us learn and help us evolve and. Yeah, And it's been, again, it's been like the great, and I mean it in the nicest, kindest way of like, 
I don't want to say something stupid. And like sometimes I'm ignorant and ignorant doesn't mean rude or mad. It's just I don't know what I don't know. So all I can do is what I like to say is shut up and listen. And this podcast has taught me that more than anything in my life. In my I'm 36 years old and I've learned more in the last two years talking to amazing humans than I have purely because that's the goal of these is to have conversations. So it's like, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say other than just like you see. Seem... I, I like what you're saying. I get what you're saying, Adam, and I like it. And I think it's a beautiful thing to have a platform like this that gives people the ability to have a dialogue with you. And I think it's, I appreciate you saying, you know, being born with saying like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Cause that's, that's, that's the whole point. Like, and I hope as time goes on, that you're able to express that not only just on this podcast, but other people that come on or people that hear this, that it's okay not to know what the hell you don't know. For sure. For sure. And I think this is where I tell people in society, I'm just like, if you are raised that way and you don't know any other way, then I get it. And I tell people, and I, and I say this to people when they ask me about racism and they go, Andrew, why are you not, when people call you certain names, like, why do you sit there and just smile and keep saying your name over to them? I was like, oh, because I think they probably forgot it in that five seconds they call me that. And then, (laughs) but this is it. But I told them this is my truth. I was like, if this person has never seen love, has never felt unconditional love or empathy, and we just met, and I have felt it, and I evolved to it in my life, then I will show them what it's like. And it's up to them now to know, like, take it what they want to take from it. But they can't, after that moment, they can no longer say they don't know because they saw it and they felt it. And so, but but for me, to your point, to sit there and, you know, criticize or chastise this individual will just reinforce their mindset. And it won't, neither one of us will grow and we'll just divide. And the world is so, we're, we're already seeing that now with so many levels. And I'm like, it's a hard, it's a hard conversation to have. And, and the reason why I say this is some of the most beautiful and most profound and progressive conversations are the hardest ones to have in business relationships with yourself. But when you have them and you let yourself give yourself some grace and patience, you move into a different space. And it's just something that when you feel it, you're like, wow, I get it. And so Again, a, a kid from Detroit that grew into this guy, like, I was really ignorant on climate change, on human rights, on so many things around the world. And people were just waking me up and giving me their insight left and right from, like, Taiwan to Tahiti to, like, all around. And I'm just like, whoa. And then I go back and sit at my office and my desk, and I'm just like, what am I doing? What, what am I doing? And I'm like... And, and so to me, being open and vulnerable and saying what you don't know, I hope those people really say like, great, let me, let me try to teach you. And then what you take from that going forward, I always say this, what you don't know is what you don't know, but how you act on that is totally different than what you don't know. So. Yeah. And I think to defend you a little bit, um, it's hard to grow up caring about anything else when you're just yeah. trying to like survive. Like when you're, when there's shootings happening two blocks away, it's really hard to care about climate change. 
it's i mean it sounds horrible and funny at the same time but it's like it's really hard to care about anything else when you're just worried about surviving and yeah that is so true and it's so true it's such a luxury to be able to care about things greater than yourself right Mm -hmm. like and i Mm -hmm. think we we in this conversation are fortunate enough to be able to worry about other things other than ourselves but that's because we are in fortunate situations now which is fantastic but like you know just hearing you talk about growing up and like then you not knowing these things it's like yeah because i didn't have time to know about that i just had to know how to get there and there and hit the bus on time and you know like it's a whole different you know that's why people are always mad that like super rich people are worried about something else it's like yeah because they don't have anything else to worry about which is great but they have the capacity to care about greater things other than themselves yeah i think i didn't know what a pantry was until i lived with my grandparents and this is no no i think about until i moved in with my grandparents and i hung out at my friend's place from middle school and he goes oh just go in the pantry get some food and i was like wait let me be straight you have enough food that you need to put in more places (laughs) So you don't eat all you have. This was that was my thought because what we got was what we could afford because it was just it was just my mom doing the best she could to take care of so many things. But you're right. I wasn't thinking about like, is it okay to eat as this much butter and bread? I was like, I'm just gonna eat this. Like that is cardiac arrest. Like that's not healthy. You know what I mean? So to your point, like these are things that now like I remember just being in a different perspective. I was like, wow. And I'm so grateful that I would say this, that my lottery ticket punched me out there because like I had to learn empathy. I had to learn it as I, I grew up because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be upset at every person that their lottery ticket gave them something different. That just, it would just be so exhausting. And I was just like, you know what, how do you want to live your life? How do you want to go about it? And I was like, this is what, these are my core values. This is what I'm going to do. I reassess them every two to three years, you know, every year I do, you know, I do my poetry and like my goals. And I look, I take a month to myself to read through all the pages of my journals throughout the, the year. And that is something where to your point, it's like when you get to a point in life where what you used to worry about is now very small and I would say insignificant, it's still there, but it's massive to other people. That's where I was like, I want to make sure that every place I leave is better than when I found it or when or the person I met when I found them. And if I can't do that, I walk away. And that to me is to your point, like I when you get to go to a great restaurant, I was like, wow, that is really cool. And sit down like what is French onion soup? (laughs) Looking at the Alps, I'm like are you really sitting here looking at one of the most beautiful mountain ranges in all of the world? And so I think about those things, you know, um, but to your point, yeah, like when you're growing up in that environment, you're not really concerned. And I tell people this, like the reason why track for me, I'll say this, the reason why I was so good at running track is because I was scared of a gunshot and I heard gunshots very often. So every time I heard a gunshot, I would run. And then when I got in the blocks, I just put that same mentality in my head. Just run until you're safe. And that was my mindset until I got to high school. And then it was just like, now run for your family. 
And then in college, it's like now run until like now run and see how far I can go. And that was my mindset for a long time. So it just shows you to your point, like as you grow up, certain things that you used to be so triggered or confined by, you start to really understand and really navigate the world around you in a better, different way that helps and shapes you to mature and see it. So, yeah. You have such like a great, I don't know, like a good, like fantastic outlook on life. Cause you, you're Andrew Alexander King, the athlete, but you're also Andrew Alexander King, the human also Andrew Alexander King, the African-American explorer slash Andrew Alexander King, the, you know, I don't want to say social justice warrior, but like you can't just be the athlete like because you Mm -hmm. are the first African or could be the first African-American explorer to do these seven summits and volcanoes. And so you're like, you're literally paving the road as you're walking on it. Do you ever wish you could just be Andrew Alexander King, the athlete? That's a great question, man. It's a you long know, I'll question. tell you, Sorry. and I appreciate that because I see it as one. And at first, because I work full time still, I still work full time at tech. And so people are like, how do you work full time? You climb in the morning and then you go work until like one or 2 a.m. And then you get up and go train. I'm like, yeah, I've always, I've always done that because I always knew growing up, I was like, you go to school, you read, you study, you train, you practice. And then the same thing in college, you go to school, <laughs> you study, you train, weight lift, train, meet, train, go. And then in, as an adult, I was like, okay, cool. You go work, you train, you get back, you train, you work, you go do it again. So to your point, I, it's always been like that. I think my grandparents having to still that level of discipline in me, it's like, at first, I did struggle a little bit with it. I struggled very hard of like, can I just be, I remember especially when I got to, you know, a D1 athlete in college, because you don't have any time as a D1 athlete. Like you are basically bound to that school on performance. And so I remember like, oh, I want to go hang out with these kids and like do other things. I'm like, no, nah, dude, you have study hours and you have to go and train and then you have to do all this. So at first I was like, wow, I, I just feel like I'd never... I'm going to miss out on that. And I did have like, you know, my terrible tubes in that span. But when I came out of it, what I learned, and I say this from Confucius, you always have, Confucius says this, you live two lives, one before you realize you only have one. And that to me clicked in my head. I was like, I'm not going to separate the two anymore, or they're all the same. I'm the athlete. I'm the, you know, the program tech manager. I'm also the, you know, advocate for human rights and humanity and building out the two notes project and giving other people space to see themselves and go after their dreams it's all the same thing and the moment i stopped doing like trying to separate them adam was the moment that i felt the most happiest in my life and sadly enough it came at the expense of someone i truly loved because my great-grandmother when she passed away two years ago I was so afraid of stepping in. Like I've been doing, like I said, I've been doing the Between Worlds project, you know, for eight years, just building it out on my own, working full time, using my own funds. 80% of what people see me do in travel that comes out of my, my normal nine to five job. The other 20% comes from partnerships. 
And that's usually giving back to nonprofits or other athletes that want to get into this space that I don't, I hope they don't have to struggle as much as I did entering it. And so when my great grandmother passed away, I decided that I'm going to step into this fully. I'm no longer going to separate the two anymore or all of them. Like they're just one person. You're going to live the best life doing it and you're going to fail, but you're going to fail forward and you're going to, you're going to wake up. It's going to be some hard days, but, um, no, I, I think they're all the same. And I'll, I'll tell you something that recently just happened. Like here in France, I trained for probably six, seven months. They climb the Matterhorn, the Eiger, back to back, and then Blanc. None of that came into fruition because Mother Nature said, we're going to have a heat wave and none of the mountain conditions are good and safe. And I was just like, it's not worth it for me to do this and, and, like, and like impact a community that i've grown to love and hurt a mountain that is hurting gonna hurt other guys and such so i had to make a decision to say no i, I can't do it so that's where like in my heart the athlete was like <laughs> but at the same time i was like yeah andrew you just went from like doing high altitude like now you're you just pre-soloed your first like ad alpine climb by yourself you climb probably some of the hardest alpine grades you've ever climbed ever in your life and you're way ahead of your progression and curve on doing that and i had to look back and be like this is where you have to sit down and be like you can't let that that winning ego mindset especially in this sport control it. you have to see the bigger picture and to your point the bigger picture is you know representation and i know i'm going to get there but I don't want to do it at the expense of harming others and showing people that we're just going to destroy this mountain and not really sit and sit, sit back and think of the community and the people that are impacted by this climate change. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't separate them anymore. They're all one and the same. You know, uh, I'll talk to my boss and, you know, they will be like, where are you at? And I'm like, I'm on the side of the volcano right now, taking care of some work, but I'll, I'll be right back. Or, you know, like I'll talk to, you know, my agent and the publicist and they're like, Andrew is on his way to, you know, Greece right now to do some sport climbing or, and then I'll like, you know, go talk to a nonprofit here in France about climate change and representation outdoors. I've learned that I'm grateful to have this one life and being in my truth every second that I get and being sound in that is the best feeling that I will never change. And I think when I, my great grandmother passed away, I promised her a year prior that I would do that. And I'm glad I lived through that now. Yeah. It's, it's awful that sometimes it takes a traumatic event to happen. Right. But it's like, you know, having that relationship with your great grandmother created the Andrew Alexander King that you are now. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it takes sometimes those traumatic life events for us to change. And I always like to say evolve versus change, but like it was the, it was the final, like, okay, I can do this and I will do this. And this is how it's all going to come together. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I agree with you on that. I think um, if she didn't pass away, in the format, in the form she did with other people in my family at the time, or close to our family at the time. Honestly, Adam, I was so shy. 
<laughs> it's kind of weird. People talk to me now. Like I'm a pretty like I do go up. To, I, I wave to people and they make eye contact with me in public. If you look at me in public and you don't break away after like two seconds, I'll just wave and smile to you. But that is something I'm grown into. <laughs> I just say, but um, prior to it, that's that's why no one knew about the Between Worlds project because I was like, it's about the nonprofits and not about me, and I don't want anyone to know about me. I don't think my story is that appealing. Um, but I had to grow up. I had to grow up and she gave me that gift to grow up at her expense where it's like, you now have to grow up and take care of the family and show what it's like. And you have to, I was like, well, you're the first person to go to college. You, you have a master's degree. You work for these great companies around the world. You've done these things. It's now for people to see that it's not just for you. It's for other people as well. And you have to show that fire inside of you. And you're right. You know, I personally say that same thing. People change when they're forced to change based off experiences in life that push them to that, you know, that horizon to accept it and take responsibility. Because if you're not, if you're not responsible, you're not accountable. If you're not accountable, then you're just, you're just going to keep doing what you're doing. And I think for me, when she, when she passed, I really had to step into that um, fully and I couldn't have it anymore. And I, back to your point, I was having it. I was like, oh, you know, I work in tech, you know, I'm just going to do some high altitude here. Go climb Mount Fuji, save a person up there. You know, oh, I'm going to go climb Kilimanjaro in like three days. Okay, no big deal. Here's a nonprofit. I just was like, you know, working as like, you know, a janitor and helping them out like something. It, it didn't help anyone. It was the most selfish thing in my life I ever did, I think, into this point. By me staying quiet for those eight years, I was not helping pushing the conversation forward. I wasn't really helping myself at all, my peers from both sides, you know, minority, non-minority side. And I won't ever forget the day that when I wrote my resignation letter at Live Nation and Ticketmaster to the executive team that I said I was walking away. And they're like, well, you've trained and you worked your life to like get to this level. Why are you doing that? And I was like, I'm doing it because I feel like I'm the only one at this party listening to this great sound of music. And I want other people that look like me, that have different backgrounds than me, exploring this. And it's only right if I just do this. And I was like, after I'm done climbing all these mountains and surfing and helping these other individuals, then if there's a space for me, I'll come back. But I can't do that knowing that I didn't contribute to help others. And that was a hard thing because I was like, I'm in a good spot. I have a good, I was like, I have a good trajectory. <laughs> it's going to be great. And then I was like, when I, when you walk away to your point, like, if she didn't pass, I, I think I wouldn't have grown up. Um, and now to this day, I have a great relationship with, um, you know, my family, myself, and just life. And because I, I really just became accountable and responsible. So, yeah. It's interesting to me that mountaineering is such a arguably selfish sport. Right? <laughs> but yet... I talked to you and the whole point of your exploring is to help others is to put this again. I use the, the metaphor of like paving your own path, but that's your, you know, there's, there's an African American explorer. We will say, I like that term. I like that you use that term um, in Detroit right now, who now has a role model who now has someone that says this is possible. Because you didn't have yeah. that. Yeah, so, I would say I would say. Yeah, so, sorry. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, did you or do you even feel now that you are a role model? Like, do you understand how powerful your message is and how you being you can influence so many young children's generations lives right now? I, Adam, to be honest with you, I don't. And some days when people, I'll just say this, when outside told me that I won the one of the most influential people in the outside industry. Let's keep in mind, people listening to this, outside is huge. It's huge. <laughs> We're not talking. It's like, it, it's huge. It's literally outside. <laughs> so the industry is huge. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and looking at that list, you have people that, like my mentor, Melissa Reed, you know, Chris Burkhardt, Jimmy Chin, you know, Teresa Baker, they're all on that list. And I'm like, I was just like crying. I was bawling because all the nights you sacrifice and you think no one notices and you just got to keep going through it. Like all the training, you know, savings, making sure the nonprofits are taken care of, making sure that they're getting the resources they need. I never thought to answer a question that never even clicked in my head. That never even like crossed my mind. All I was thinking is like, if I don't wake up tomorrow, at least the world is at least a little bit further along. And I hoped I contributed to that the best way I could. I did never think like, I remember this one kid was climbing at the gym. I'm actually tearing up talking about this. I'm glad the camera's off. <laughs> so, this kid was at the climbing gym. And he was just like, oh, man, I, he's like, you're Andrew Alexander King. And I was like, yeah. He was like, can I climb with you? I was like, of course. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, man, let's climb. And he was just like, yeah, I was like, I'll teach you to do the figure eight, everything. If you have climbing shoes, you want chalk? And he's like, I'll just take my chalk back. He's like, what? And I was just like, yeah. And he's like, I didn't think, I was like, well, well, no. I was like, in my eyes, I'm like, I remember what that feels like. And I remember, and like people ask me to this day, they're like, they're like well you don't have any comments on instagram you turn your comments off and i was like it's a journal so it's it that's why you're reading a journal me actually i read those i read the captions back to myself every year to see if i'm still and it's a journal that i'm sharing with you that's just open and then everyone i talk to is usually my dms there's never been a person Ah, should wait. No, I should say never. There's a person there. <laughs> <laughs> but there's been everyone i talk to i like talk to you as if I'm talking to you about life. I'm like, hey, what do you need help with? You know, people are like, hey, I wanted to come up and talk to you, but I was a little bit nervous. And I'm like, oh, let's talk right now. Like, what do you what do you need help with? Like, what's your climbing? Like, do you want to like be a better climber? Like surfer? Like what free diving, meditation? I never thought in a million years that anyone would see it like just like that. And so having that kid come up and like be excited to climb who still climbs, still stoked on it. You know, giving away my surfboards to, you know, kids in different countries that need surfboards and them sending me photos and them still ripping on it. You know, I I just thought that was the right thing to do. <laughs> so <laughs> that was just my core value. So I didn't think of like ever thinking of a role model since. I'm grateful when people see me as that. But then I say to them, I dare you to be better. And I dare you to go further than I ever could because now you have the road and the map in front of you. And if you ever get lost, then come say hi and we'll figure it out. But now I think I, I really want those individuals to take it further. And I like, for me, if I become the first African-American to do the seven highest volcanoes and seven highest summits, that is great. If someone beats me to it, 
I will clap for them and hug them just as much as I would do any other person. Um, because it's 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 more than that. It's it's about them seeing and giving people to do it. And to your point, yes, our sport is fairly selfish. We are doing we 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 are doing so much not the best to the mountains sometimes or the environments, and let alone to each other because we're just trying to beat each other to this summit. That and I always say to people, I'm like, there's nothing at the top of the mountain that you don't have inside of yourself. There is no Zelda chest with multiple hearts. <laughs> there is no Mario star. None of that is there. What is inside of you has already been summoned for you to go up there. When you get there, it will show you what you are. And so like, if you're a person like to take selfies, then you'll take a selfie. If you're a person that hugs and cries, you're going to hug and cry. And so for me, it's really getting people to find those summits within themselves or that's you know, that energy to go to those summits, you know, mentally or physically and find that out. And so um, the journey, again, when it's over for me, it's, it's someone else's turn to really showcase that for them, uh, their side of it. But never in a million years I ever thought I would get that kind of feedback from people. And I get some negative ones and I just high five them and go, thank you. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with any positivity, it has to come some somebody's mad that you did something for like that always oh, exists, yeah. no matter. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> some of the reviews we get on the podcast, you're like, what? Like you took time out of your day to leave like a one star and write like that guy sucks. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, like, I don't. I don't get it. I sometimes are just like, whatever. I'm like, I'm glad that I got to be your source of energy to that, to feed that out into the world. I pre, I was like, I wish you the best, but we probably will only give a high five to each other. <laughs> yeah. Like this is where this, this journey ends with us here. It's, right. it is, I mean, yeah. that's all, no matter what, like it doesn't, there's always negativity and you got, and it's funny cause our brains always focus on like the one bad comment, not like the, you know, hundred excellent ones or the million great experiences of, you know, you running into people. And like, it is, it is a weird thing being a role model mm. and I can't pretend like I am one, <laughs> but like we have like I, being this podcast host and in the right circles, some people know who, you know, we are at the collective and it's like really funny. People like, you know, we were at SIA and people came up to us and like, Oh my God, you're Adam. And I'm like, yep. And they're like, can we get a photo? And I'm like, yeah, like you can, we can hang out. Like I'm not cool. No one else is here to see me. Like, but it's, it's, it's amazing, but it's funny to be like, and you are on a such greater scale than I. And it's like, cause you're just you in your brain, right? Like that's the only person you know how to be is yourself. And then, yeah. you know, you have to put yourself in Chris Burkhardt's shoes when you look at him and you're like, holy cow, like that's Chris Burkhardt. Like, so it's just, it's a, yeah, it's an yeah, interesting right, dynamic bro. for sure. And, you yeah. know, with the Between World Project, like that's just going to grow and get bigger. I want to talk about it a little bit. Obviously, we've tapped on it, but like, how far on this project are you? I know you said how long sure. it's going to take to compete, but or complete. But how many summits do you have? What does it look like? Um. So the crazy part about it, yeah, that's a great question, and I do think you're someone of importance. So I think so. Just saying that. Yes. <laughs> so yes, I would get a photo with you. That's a big deal. Um. 
But yeah, I'm only, so I've done Kilimanjaro the second time. I'll go back again and do it again. I've done Aconcagua. I'll go back and do that one again. And then this year was supposed to be full on Europe, you know, doing the Matterhorn, Eiger, Blanc, uh, then Elbrus. But unfortunately, because of the tensions in here in Europe and the climate change, none of that happened. So Elbrus was out of the window right before, before I even got here. I knew about that in January. And I decided to donate the funds of that expedition to those impacted negatively by those tensions. Um, and so that's where I'm at right now. And so it's interesting because Denali, when we did it, you know, my great grandma's ashes are spread up there when she passed away. That's so, again, as a minority woman that worked in Ford and from Detroit, she now rests at one of the highest places in all of, you know, America, which I thought that would be a good place. My family never got a funeral for her. So I told them I'll take her ashes up there and spread them. So that's where she rests. We didn't get to the summit and I didn't get to, you know, put her ashes up there because we got stuck in a eight day blizzard and then we all had to leave because it was end of season. So, you know, I'm super happy that I don't rush through this. And everyone always asks, like, why are you not moving through it fast? I'm like, we move through trends so fast. We move through life so fast. And we don't sit down and get to really realize what we're in it for. And I was like, each year is a different region for one year. And so I sit there and I live in that region for the year for up to like, I would say six, seven months of the year. And I get to know those nonprofits and climb those mountains and surf their waves. And so I only have, you know, in the sense of it, you have Denali again, I can, uh, Denali again, get up there, Vincent, Everest. Uh, I'm not going to say, I can't, I don't want to mess up the one in the Middle East because that's a high volcano there and Iran. And then, you know, Pujak, Gilam, and Sidley. So it's not really a lot left, but I'm going to take a year for each one to do them. And along that way is 10 really hard training mountains. The training mountains are way harder than the volcanoes and mountains themselves. Um, but it just forces me to really sit there and learn the region, get to know the community, really have set up a, a place for them to, you know, have for the next person who takes on the Between Worlds project to really go to a place and have that community waiting for them to accept them if they so choose it. And so, yeah, that's, that's the project for me. And it's, I have no, everyone's like, well, was asking recently when I was like pretty down about the conditions and how sad, like it's impacted here. I was like, I got the train in the coolest place. <laughs> I'm like a I was like, I'm further along than I I'm further along than I ever thought I could be. And so, um, yeah, I'm glad I did rush through it, and I'm glad I, I really take my time. So that that's where I am in the project. And now we've decided to really go ahead and um, take it to one step closer with big wave surfing. So every region will have a big wave surfing in it as well. So, yeah. I love your attitude towards the project because so many athletes right now, and I don't blame any of them, you know, but it's just like, I'm going here and then I'm going here and then here, here, here. And like, you seem to really be one practicing what you preach, but two enjoying it. Like, you know, you're not just flying into Everest and I don't know who done, who's done it fastest now, but like, I mean, Killian did it yeah. like twice in like 48 hours and like, that's his yeah. MO clearly. And that's mm -hmm. a whole, but like, 
did you enjoy any of that? Did you, and every athlete's different and that's the greatest part, but you seem to really be embracing the bigger picture. You know, the, the seven summits are the, are the, the highlight, right? Like that's the, mm-hmm. that's the, I don't know, tagline. That's what people care about. That's how you get people involved to actually make change. And right. then your message is I'm going to live in these communities. I'm going to help these communities, which is like the actual end result. And maybe I'm. No, that's right. But like, it's, I asked you with intent and you answered properly not there's a correct answer, but like I, I asked you knowing that I, I didn't believe at least from my research that you were super, super far along. And I think if someone just looked your name up and was like, Oh, he's been doing this for a long time. And, but then with your answer, it's like, oh, that's why. There's so much more to this than yeah. the seven summits, than the tallest volcanoes. Like that is, yeah. you know, it's it's awesome. It's really cool to see and to to hear about and to hear, you know, your why. I ask a lot of athletes, what's your why? And well, that's a big thing. I agree with you. I think you ask a great question. I think that's a big thing because how you do something and why you do something are two different things. And I always ask that to people. I go, so I'm going to cut the grass. Okay. Why? Because it's growing. How? With my scissors. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but I asked the next question because um, I think it's very easy. I think in the sport, you can just go through your peaks and just, you know, these are my goals and go through them in the town. And, the you know, when you climb in those regions, you see how the guides, the Sherpas, the community are treated. And I think I really wanted to get to know those people because those are the people that save your life. Those are the people that really get you home. Those are the people that take care of you. And so the, the best thing you can do is just listen to them and really give them a place to really be heard and give them a platform to speak up on things that most people don't let them do. Um, and then there's other issues that impact that community that you don't know about. And so again, it goes back to like, really, you, you don't know what you don't know and just really making sure people have that ability to have someone that just doesn't come and, take from them but gives them an opportunity what they do with that opportunity is up to them but you have to present it to them it goes back to like my grandparents they just presented me with an opportunity to go you know to live with them and so that for me is the way mindset i have and could i do it quicker sure you could do it quicker you can you could if you have a lot of capital for sure um again this is all out of my normal nine to five job and so if i did this at that speed what would I accomplish besides my own ego being in a record book that would be shattered in 10 years time? What would I accomplish from that? Not a lot. It wouldn't, it wouldn't change. It wouldn't change the way that lack of representation sexually or racially, the dialogue that, you know, we need to continue to have on many issues from climate change to social injustice and impact. Those are all the things that I think if you were to rush through it, you definitely would not help move this space where it needs to move in towards to be not only purposeful, but also um, productive for the future generations. And so, I mean, a lot of people do ask me that, but I also think I never thought in a million years that I'd, I'd fall in love with alpinism. I, I didn't think that I would have the, I thought I was a just too far behind the curve or just didn't have the technique. And now that's just not true anymore to your in like in the same with big wave surfing i didn't think i could go train in portuguese with like the portuguese portuguese wsl like surfing team you know like take me out of the jet ski you know and i'm like 
it, but to your point, I got to know those communities and like, they're like family. So when I talk to them and I land in like Lisbon, I go train with them and they like, they're excited. We, we hang out and the same thing here in Chamonix. So it's, if I were to rush through it for my own ego's sake, it wouldn't, in my opinion, this is different for reality, like you said, it wouldn't really help those coming after to really feel that they can have a space that feels safe. Um, and now I have athletes that really like DM me that are coming to Chamonix and like, Hey, Andrew, that's my idea. Like, can you help me with this? I'm like, yeah, here's some rope. Here's a place you go. Here's the things to look out for. Um, and the same thing like around the world. So I, I, I think that's way more important to me. Um, and I look forward to someone shattering my records of what I do and some of the climbs that I can't talk about that I'll be doing next year that are pretty crazy. <laughs> but, um, I, it's just the, Again, it's the, the seven and seven is just the, the car, it's the vehicle, it's and it's more about the driver per se. Um, because I can I put this in words whatever record you break in a speed sense now is going to be broken by someone else eventually again and then again. Um, and we don't own these mountains, you're just conquering things within yourself. If you're not really conquering the mountains, you're conquering your own things inside. So, I don't, I don't really see myself um looking at like i have to be the first one to get up there to to be something i was like again if i don't make it up that kid that's in detroit or that kid that's in chicago or buffalo can be like crap i'm gonna go get an ice axe or a surfboard now i'm gonna try this and that's what matters so yeah if you're gonna fail fail while trying that's like <laughs> that's, one of my it's, that's the motto. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to say because i fail often and i think mountaineers alpinists are like they are the greatest at failing, uh, oh, the sure. good ones yeah. at least, because they're still here and they're still alive. And they are, you have to fail. You have to know that you had to make the right decision to not climb something because it was unsafe or to not, you know, do, you know, it's like mountaineers have like this. I couldn't imagine, I could never be a mountaineer because I don't think I have that in me of like, you know, I interviewed Adrian and he just talked mm -hmm. about like all his failed missions. It's like, well, like what we talked about for like 45 minutes. And it was like, man, like you just, you're, you're, a prof you're so proficient at failing, which is what makes you successful because the, the, when the, you know, the stars align literally that you can get up to the top of K2 or the top of Everest, like it's because it, it let you get to the top. And you were smart enough to fail yeah, and turn around. Like it's there's so yeah. much power in it. I agree, man. I agree with that, Adam. Because I think, in my sense, and I, and that's the sense you have to you have to be motivated, not just about the objective, but about why you do it. To your point, and I think that's the bigger thing. Like when I wake up, like yeah, it did hurt, but at the end of the day, when you wake up, you're like. He's going back to training. I'm like, there's something more there. And I think the mountain lets you up when it's ready, when you've learned your lesson, honestly. I think that's the the way that I look at it. I think Mother Nature like opens that door to let you in when you've actually matured. Because if you do it too fast, then you get too confident. And when you get too confident, bad things tend to happen around that time. And I think those that really listen to it um like you say have an older time like a, you know they become more wiser and they, they live longer 
versus those that are just like really pushing up against that red line and basically playing roulette with mother nature where she always wins. And so I, I think to your point, it's, it's always good to really assess and ask yourself why. Um, and I always say this at the end of the day, like 200 years from now, is it, are you, and I, I guess maybe those are the words when you do something, I think of it as this, you remembered when I look recent philosophy, you're mostly remembered of how you treat people. That is how the best ones you usually live on in the lives they have, like how they treated others. That's how you become immortal. It's not from, you know, the inventions per particular, but it's mostly like how that individual contributed in a positive sense or sometimes a negative to the overall um, life of the individuals around them. And so for me, it's like, yeah, like you climb all these mountains, but all the people before I ever knew climbed them already. They've already been climbed, you know? So like, what would I contribute besides just making sure other people have the opportunity to do that? And the way to do that is stay alive and make sure other people feel alive doing it. So, so yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love everything you've said in this hour. Like if we could just bottle a little bit up of like Andrew Alexander King and give it to everybody, the world would be a much better place. I I can promise you that. Uh, I don't, I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to talk about sponsors, which you call partners, which I love. Um, how important are partners? This is your moment to kind of give a shout out to every partner that you work with. And I just yeah. think it's important for our listeners to hear like, and I love that you said you have a tech job because people are like, he just climbs all day. Like, what a great life. No. And you're like, no, he works. And even climbing is work. So I want to talk about partners for a couple minutes here. Um, first, who you partner with, and then we'll just talk a little bit about them. Yeah, actually, while I've been on this podcast, people have been um, slacking me. So I've been responding with Slack sometimes too. So just like, <laughs> so I do work. I work all the time. It's just even clubs. But um, yeah, um, I partner with Black Diamond. And they've been with me for two years. They're their partners. I don't say sponsors because it's very transactional. And we were married into this together. And I hold my partners accountable, just like they hold me accountable. Like, are you making progressive change? Are there is your portfolio being more diverse? Is there a place for people to speak up on issues? Are you working with you know other marginalized or underrepresented communities to really push this forward? Um, and so you know, I am very very strict and I would say stingy on who I partner with. Um, my agents know this because I came from the background of business and business tech. And so when I sit down with someone um, as a partner, I ask them some very hard questions. I go, what's purpose, what's profitable, and what's progressive to you? And can you tell me that within three to four minutes? And if you can't really tell me those things, it's kind of like, okay, where do you see our partnership really aligning within those three realms? Because they basically fall into those categories at some point. And we have to be able to be able to, you know, navigate it together. And then what will you do to not only like help this progress forward, but how do you see this becoming something that, you know, other people can do after me? Um, Black Diamond really did a great job with that because they basically, you know, they're like family. Like I can text that team. I still talk to them. We hang, <laughs> like, I don't see them as often, but like I text them and, you know, like we, we basically, if I need something, I know they're there. And that's, that's very reassuring. And I didn't want to be with someone that really 
just took me in as like, you know, a checkbox. And I was very adamant. I was like, I won't be your checkbox athlete. And I say this in interviews because you're not going to muzzle me on certain topics that I think to your point we said earlier, we should be continually to have. And I wanted to make sure that that was something that wouldn't fall to the wayside and it's performance based. So I was like saying like, I'm not going to go climb a nine a or a nine B it's not going to happen. It's just not my, that's not my take on life. And so if you're looking for me to be the next, like, you know, Honold or Andre, I have no desire to do that. I, 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 this is a different story and a different narrative. And if you want to come along for it, great. But at the end of the day, like I do plan on climbing certain things, but their achievements to a wider audience, not just to very, you know, a singular one. And so they really have been supportive. Um, I just love the whole team there. And I, they know that when this project is over, I just fade into the background and the next person steps up into it. And then there's Cita Summit. You know, they've been very supportive too. You know, Josh and that team out of Denver. I remember talking to them in like a Trader Joe's parking lot <laughs> about like the project. And I didn't know, you know, at the time, because I, before I had like an agent or anyone or a publicist, I didn't have, it was just me. It was just me for years doing this and, you know, learning what I learned in like, you know, meetings or boardrooms and really applying that to in the athlete, the discipline to it. And so that team at Cedar Summit really believed in it and um, really gave me the ability to be seen and heard and really just let me be the surfer and climber that and explorer, I would say, that I am. Um, they didn't try to put me into different like silos. And same with BD. They just were like, he's an explorer and he does these really big climbs and these big waves. And I was really happy with that. And then Von Zipper, GT, you know, he's someone that lives in SoCal, DM me, and we just text all the time, like, takes care of the goggles and glasses. It's just a very supportive, good friend, and it's been there. And then Holstein Water, they're out of Austria, um, and they treated me very well. Like they, they basically brought me to their facility because when I partnered with them, I was like, if I'm going to do a, a beverage, I really want to know what you're, how you do it from end to end, like packaging from source to packaging to store. And I went there to their facility and I sat down and like learned all of it, how they did it. And I was like, if I'm going to partner with someone, I needed to be like a natural resource. And so their facilities recycled water, sorry, no, they're recycled bottles. And then they use it from like their own well that they found for like making the most pristine water they can so that's a really natural source and that's really helping the environment and how they get back to like kids in Africa as well and so I told them I was like I'm gonna fly to see your facility and then I'm gonna fly to Africa to see how you help the other people and they're like oh he's serious I was like yes I'm dead serious I'm getting on a plane and I'm coming over <laughs> and so all of my partners it, it has to be more of this family communal sense because again when when I transition out of my journey being told I look to these partners to let the person step up next and be able to be supported and keep it going. Um, and so I'm very stingy on that. And like, you know, when I worked with Subaru, it's the same thing. It's Bill Scout and Subaru. They're like, Hey, we want to do this shoot with you. And I was like, okay, cool. Then I would like to have a minority director and a very diverse cast from producer to, you know, assistant all around there. And then we need to donate up to a big portion or a, fraction portion of this production cost to native americans since we're shooting on that land and they're just like oh we've never been asked this before i was like well if you want to shoot with me this is what i'm looking for i don't care what my day rate is but this is what i'm looking to do and they did that so i'm usually very 
um, forward thinking in that. Um, and there's been a lot of things I had to say no to. But partners are very important. I, again, 80% of what I do comes out of my full-time job. That's all my capital. So I have to budget every year for that. <laughs> and so it's like flights, baggage fees that are a lot, um, Airbnbs, training. I pay for my own training. So when most people see me out like Chamonix, like I'm paying to be I'm paying to be trained by those guides of like how to understand the mountain. So I pay for that out of my own pocket. And so everything that people have seen is just like, I hope the next person doesn't have to do that. And so my contracts are basically um, growing and opening up that space for the next person that comes in as an ambassador that's leading into pro has the ability to negotiate what their likeness and how they're being portrayed and how they're being used. So, no one, this is like, no one's ever going to call you a poser. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm bringing back the word poser and no one is going to ever call Like you are like a living, walking, like practice what you preach. Like it's unbelievable. It's so refreshing to hear. And it's, it could be really easy for you to probably quit your tech job and cash in on a lot of money from brands. And as you say, just check their boxes. But Mm -hmm. you, Andrew Alexander King, won't because you are like the most genuine, again, I've known you for an hour here, but the most genuine human being on this planet Earth of just like, no, there's so much, there's such a greater focus, such a greater purpose than me and I can use my voice and I can practice what I preach by saying, Hey, we need to hire this director and we need to have, and we need to make a donation here. And like, you are just paving the way for whoever comes next. And like, I will say thank you. And I won't be the person who comes next. I promise you that, but I will say thank you for that person. Uh, and for anyone listening, cause like, like if we can all just be 1%, of Andrew Alexander King will be a better place, a better society, better people, better partnerships, better branding situations. Cause it's just, it, it might, maybe this is wrong, but like it's too easy because you're you and you're just being you. And like, there's nothing easier to sell than you when you're just you and your true authentic self. So thank you for being you. Well, I involved into this, man. I tell people, I always say, like, it's my friends. It's the people you surround yourself with that push you to be the best version of yourself. And so, you know, my friends, my mentors, people I've guided with, people that guides, community, people that gave, like, yourself time to, like, you know, be myself. That it makes a lot of it. And I think when you evolve into this, you're able to, like, sit back and be like, what do you want to leave behind? And like I said, if 20, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, I'm an old dude on a beach in Hawaii or in the mountains and no one knows who I am. And they're like, hey, I got funded by the Between Worlds Project and I'm doing this climb out here. And I just go, isn't that cool? And I'll just keep walking. That's all that matters. That's basically my, that's what I would love to dream at one day. I just keep walking. So, that's but yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Where can people follow you, find you, uh, donate to the project? Where's the best place for people to do um, that? I, 
it's Between Worlds Project. The Between Worlds Project.com is where you can see the nonprofits that I, you know, we worked with myself. Um, and then, you know, Instagram, you know, DM, DM me if you have any questions. Usually that's just how people get a hold of me. And then I'll be launching the YouTube channel within the next month, which shows the journal of like, it's a visual journal of what it's like to your point of like what we discussed here, like the flights, the training, the life, um, you know, learning for guides, all of it. And so happy to discuss with people. It's, it's meant to just be an open journal book for people to see and just have a, a, a map to where they want to go or where they don't want to go. And so, yeah, that's, you can get a hold of me. And um, yeah, if you see me on the street, just wave. <laughs> wave and smile. Don't <laughs> make eye contact. Exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, I don't, we don't, I don't do donations now because until at some point it'll wibble into that. Uh, and a lot of people ask that. And I say the reason why is because I do a lot of research into nonprofits and the donors and into the companies I partner with. And it's very because we want it to be, set up to where it's sustainable and it's safe um and so at some point you know the next five years it will move into that but right now all the donations i take out of you know my nine to five job and then my partners they have to you know step up and donate to these causes as well as the nonprofits we bring in to work with so to your point yeah well thank you you're an amazing human being um thank you <laughs> thank you thank you thank you thank you for taking the hour to chat so no worries, man. You're amazing. And I'm going to say hi to you. <laughs> yeah, that's like... <laughs> yeah, hopefully I'll be in Chamonix. <laughs>